Well, that's the new thing they do. Okay. And... All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of Mostly Ghostly. That's right. Uh, the paranormal hotspot for all your ghostly needs and paranormal discussion. You know what I mean? You're joined with myself, Machu. And over here we have Ray on the other side, the other landline. Layline. How you doing, Ray? Pretty good. How about you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Um... You know, we're, we're, we this this today's episode uh, for the folks that didn't read quite read the, the heading. Uh, we're going to be getting into some sacred land type stuff. Um, me and Ray been going back and forth for probably since the beginning of the show about doing an episode on you know different areas that have different um, activity at. And um, I know recently we did an episode of. Uh, show called Behold the Pale Podcast, which is on the Boombastic Media Network. It's more of like a um, truth, or they don't like to be called conspiracy show, I'm told, because conspiracy has such a bad uh, burden around it. They like to consider themselves more truth or discussion, where they kind of play the devil's advocate a little bit and uh, really, you know, entertain the ideas of what could have happened. But within that, uh, there was, uh, I read this thing about how the government was, you know, watching witch doctors and, and native, you know, shamans and such, um, in ways to see how that they could lay a curse on somebody or like get, get it to rain with the rain dances and stuff, because both of those things would be very valuable as a weapon, you know, or as a tool, uh, to get what they needed out of whatever the situation was, whether the rain, crops, if you want crops to grow, you want crops not to grow, you could throw some of that out there. And uh, as far as curses, I mean, you got somebody you ain't you ain't seen eye to eye with in the political field, uh, you're probably going to want to throw some curses over there to trip them up, you know what I mean, maybe even have them die. Um, and, you know, to go back to uh, the first season of Mostly Ghostly, we had an episode that dealt with witches. If anybody goes looking in season one, I'm sure they could find the witch episode. And, um, that has, you know, the vibe of that, where the vibe, the witch put a curse on this gentleman in it, uh, through money, through a gift. But, um, once you get it, it's like troublesome. And he had a dream. He had a nightmare. He had a nightmare in this nightmare. He said this witch came to him in the nightmare and try. There was almost a battle of wits. You're going to have to listen to the episode. No, no more teasers. But there was a battle of wits, if you will, or a spiritual battle um, within his nightmare. And he honestly felt that if he lost that battle, that he would have died in real life. Um, so like keeping with that, I, I feel like that's kind of a vibe that did want to mess with too. You know what I mean? If, if they could figure out a way to kind of harness that and say, Hey, you know, we want Hukamaki dead. You send Hukamaki some, a gift, he accepts it. And now he's got all this bad luck. And in his dreams, he's got these dream demons, like the insomniac film you can catch on the boombastic media YouTube page at this moment. Um, very mostly ghostly stuff. Go check that out. But um, it's very believable. I almost feel like it's a super believable thing that they would be able to uh, ha harness this and use it to the, their power. You know what I mean? Ray, what's your take on all that stuff? Uh, I agree. Uh, you're looking at the government. They'll do just about anything they can. They've done experiments in uh, ESP. 
I know uh, for a long time remote viewing, and I had some success on that. Uh, if you're looking at harnessing the energy or the power behind curses, um, it's definitely something that I think they would look into and they would try and do. I know from personal experience, uh, when I was very young, I took a walk on the dark side, so to speak. Mm. And somebody uh, was having a lot of problems with somebody with an individual and they asked me, you know, if I could do anything about it being young, naive and stupid. Um, yeah, I did the curse thing and the individual within less than a year, um, suffered a job loss, a marriage breakup and a nervous breakdown. Yikes. You're smiling while saying this. Well, I'm, th- I'm thinking back about how stupid I was because there's a payback. Believe me, after that, uh, what you pay for, my life wasn't exactly happy for a while there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you got you got to you got to pay back if if you're going to throw something out there. There's a price you pay for it, and I would never ever do that again. Yeah, you got to pay the piper. You know. Yep. Like we say on the show before, you know, even these really bad. Not saying you were a bad dude, or maybe you were acting bad, but you you, you reclaimed yourself. You're a good man. Raise a good man. Um, but these people that don't ever, re, re, you know, reclaim, reclaim righteousness in their life, you know, when they die, I do, or, or they don't have forgiveness before they die, I do feel that they, they're put to the test, even in death, that they still have to answer to the bad things they do, you know. Well, uh, I know what happens is you, you take that first step and it's like a spiral staircase going down. Uh, you're tripping, falling. Um, it just kind of sucks you down to a place you don't want to be, so. It's tough to get out of. It's something I wouldn't recommend for anybody. Yeah. It's another one of those almost Ouija boardy things where you're common. You know, the littlest thing could be a curse. You know, you just being at the grocery store, wish someone cuts in front of you, you say, ah, I wish they whatever. You know what I mean? That's a curse. And that's putting that on you as well as that other person. So you really got to kind of be careful. Words are very powerful. You know what I mean? It's a crazy thing. Now, the um, we're gonna this one we really want to focus in this episode more so on the land um, that's kind of owned the property that that um, of the places the sacred places of these places uh, and certain struggles of how they you know they they've lost them and they're 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 always on the they're always trying to regain them get them back you know what I mean. It's one of those weird deals, you know. For over 40 years, the U.S. Congress uh, passed the American Indian Religious Freedom Act so that Native Americans could practice their faith freely and that and that access to their sacred sites could be protected. This came after a 500-year-long history of conquest and uh, coercive conversion to Christianity had forced Native Americans from their homeland. Uh, today... You know, their uh, religious practice is, all, is threatened all over again. You know what I mean? Uh, people are always trying to get it. So they're, uh, they got the Bears Ears National Monument, an area of sacred <laughs> Native Americans in Utah by over one million acres. It's a lot of land. Um, Bears Ears Monument is only one example of the conflict over the places of religious value. Uh, many others, such as sacred sites, are being viewed as potential areas for development. Uh, development threatening the, the free practice of Native American faith. While Congress created uh, the American Indian Religious Freedom Act to provide an access to sacred sites, it has been an open interpretation 
Uh, Native Americans still struggle to protect their sacred lands. You know what I mean? I think it's just one of those unfortunate things of land and money, you know what I mean? And the mighty dollar where they say, hey, you can have this, but they slowly get, you know, pushed into a smaller room. It's like, um, it's like the dude in office space with the stapler where they say they keep moving him until he's in the basement. You know what I mean? Well, there's uh, what most people don't realize. Everybody thinks, you know, um, in this country, there's freedom of religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, the freedom for Native Americans to practice their own religion. That was actually a law that wasn't passed till the 1970s. Crazy. So every, everybody else had it, but these, uh, you know, these primitive little natives running around, uh, they kept them under the thumb for uh, up until the 70s when they finally conceded, okay, you can, you can practice. I know that uh, for a long while, uh, the ghost dance was, mm-hmm. um, that was strictly forbidden. Someone could get arrested or actually uh, executed if they did that out West. Crazy. So there's a, there's a lot, a lot there that, um, yeah, this, that culture and these peoples, they've been held down for a long time. You know, them killing them off, you think that's, they're afraid of, of, of the power of what they're doing? Or you think they just don't, they, they, you know, in certain situations, if somebody doesn't believe in what somebody does, they can write them off just as quick, you know what I mean? And, and, have the, and, and want them to go away that much quicker. Well, I don't, if you do a deep dive into public records coming out of Congress, mm. um, there was a, a thing that was actually in the 1800s, it was decided that, uh, the genocide option, the killing them all, was not practical. They're going to move the reservations instead, where they can control them. Yeah. So they considered at one time, you know, find every native and kill them. They, they were a threat. It was land, it was power, and then you got to throw in the uh, religious and spiritual aspect. It was a threat. They were, for a long while, considered actually less than human because they were considering killing them all off Mm. yeah i mean it's horrible you know what i mean the fear what they don't know type deal you know you have like the whole cowboys and indians thing you know what i mean media trying to media trying to make the natives look like uh savages you know what i mean uh they did a little bit of a switch later on um after the 70s and they made up from savages to the noble savage yeah you know it's kind of like okay well but they still use them as mass symbols and peoples as mascots and everything else. So there's a definite lack of respect there. I mean, uh, not to piss anybody off, but, uh, you know, I mean, you would never have a football team called, you know, the, the Georgia gays right? or, you know, the, uh, Delaware dykes or, and you can just go on and on. Right, no, right. You can have you can have uh, Indians, you can have chiefs, you can have all of that, but uh, no, no, nobody Redskins, else. Yeah, yep, Redskins. Yeah, it's weird. You know what I mean? It's definitely a weird deal. You know, you got these uh, these these sports teams, just old way thinking, right? That's what you know. It it, it, defi- it definitely is, uh, and it goes back centuries, not only in this country. It goes back a lot uh, through Europe. There was a common practice. Uh, you had the Druids, and people think of Druids, they think mostly of England, but the Druids were actually th- throughout much of uh, Europe. 
And when the church at the time uh, moved into a certain area and conquered it, they would take what was a sacred site, destroy it. And a lot of the cathedrals and monasteries are all built on old sacred sites. Part of that was that, look, my God's greater than yours. We're going to destroy your sacred place, and we're going to put a place of worship to my God. So it was competition and establishing uh, supremacy. And that that attitude was carried over into uh, the United States, and that was done to the Native Americans. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, just another group of people that have been treated unfairly. You know what I mean? We got land-based religions also up in the mix here, too. A Native Americans of land-based religions, which mean they practice their religion within specific geographic locations. As Joseph Toledo, uh, Jemez Pablo tri- tribal leader says, sacred sites are like churches. They are places of great hailing and magnet- magnetism. Some of these places, in the case of Beers Ears National Monument, are within federal public lands. As a Native American scholar, I have visited many of these places and felt their power. This is, uh, this is James Toledo, not me. Uh, for thousands of years, tribes have used Beers Ears for rituals, ceremonies, and collecting medicines used for healing. The different tribes, the Hopi, Navajo, Ute, Ute, I believe it's Ute, right? Ute Mountains, Ute, uh, Ute Indian Tribe, and the uh, Pueblo of Zuni. They have worked to protect the land. Together, they set up a non-governmental organization, the Beers Ears Intertribal Coalition, to help conserve the landscape in 2015. You know what I mean? And, I mean, it's kind of a weird thing. They want to keep their lands and, uh, you know, city city life wants to take that land and turn it into apartment buildings. The, tri- the tribe believes that Beers Ayers is one of the late, last large undisturbed areas in the lower 48 states. And it contains spirits of those who once lived there. Beers Ayers Navajo elder Mark Maryboy emphasized it's very important that uh, we protect the earth, the plants, and the special ceremonial places and beers ears for future generations. Not just for Native Americans, but for everybody. So I catch his vibe on it a little bit. I know there's all, you know, you get all this land, and that's what it is. It's corporations and apartment buildings and all that type of stuff is what's kind of, there's more people As population gets up there, you know, they got to create more places for them to live. Um, It's kind of a, uh, it's a weird, it's kind of a weird line because I don't take our side of it. I think that we're making people way too quickly. Uh, We can slow down on that process a little bit. Um, But, you know, it's kind of like one of those things where, you got to deal with the problem, so then you make make it okay. So kind of like you would say, okay, I guess we should take the land and build buildings because we need people. But at the end of the day, you got you're taking it from the natives. You know, they got their beliefs on there. We're supposed to be giving them the freedom to, to practice their religion and do their beliefs. But we're kind of like I said, we're minimum. It's like office space. We're eventually we're pushing them till they're but they're stuck in that in that basement room. And that they're working and not even getting a paycheck anymore. You know what I mean? We're bringing it right back to them for, you know, the sacred landscape. 
sacred landscape. Um, you know, you think these places get get picked to be um, these these places because of how beautiful they look, or do you think that it's the energy that's already there, Ray? I'd say the energy that is already there. Most indigenous cultures, uh, no matter what country is, are more in tuned. <laughs> excuse me with the natural energies and the power of nature so that uh, these places are chosen because that's where they're drawn to. That's where the energy is. And uh, I think that energy is also magnified and reinforced through the ceremonies that are done there. Uh, Whether you want to call it a vortex or the intersection of ley lines, um, whatever you may, may want to call it, they are sacred spaces because of the energy and the feel and maybe the portal to the spirit world. Yeah. Um, that's where, that's what makes these places, uh, so special. And it's recognized by indigenous people and it's not recognized, uh, by others. Do you think that's out of negligence where they just know they're, they're looking at the money they can make instead of the, all the greed, you know what I mean? Greed is it. Well, I think it's a combination of things. One is that they don't recognize any point of view, uh, whether it comes to religion or beliefs, except their own. I agree with that, yep. And the, once you start throwing into financial gain, uh, considering they say, oh, that's not sacred, it's nothing, then it becomes much easier to plow it all over and build something on it, a factory or condos or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm with you on that. It's... Um yeah, it's interesting, you know what I mean? Because uh, they keep getting pushed. It's like it's like they give you the land. They want you to do something with it, so to speak. You know what I mean? It's like you just want it to be there, to go there, to do your thing. But they're giving you that land, and they almost want you to, like, develop it. You know what I mean? They want you to put um, a, a hotel there, a casino there. You know what I mean? Something there that, that can make money that they can eventually take that from you. You know what I mean? Uh, later well, on. Yeah, you you got the land to use as long as you use it our way. Yeah, it's true. You know what I mean? There's a great Bill Hicks line, the comedian, where he says, you're, you're free to do whatever they tell you to do. Yeah. I love that line. Great. So the sacred landscapes over here, you know, yeah, great-grandparents. Uh, this, this gentleman's great-grandparents. Uh, were well-known religious leaders on the Blackfeet Reservation. Uh, they lived in the foothills of so- the south side of the reservation, which I heard the south side was the worst place. That's where the most gang violence is at. However, they went into the mountains and onto the public lands in an area now called the Badger Two Medicine in north-central Montana to practice their religion. His great-grandfather traveled in the Badger Canyon to trap eagles, that sounds difficult, and gather their feathers, which he used uh, in ceremonies and for divine protection. Now, in a situation like this, when he says gather gather feathers, my guess is he's not killing this eagle to take the feathers. He's somehow finding them or, or maybe capturing the, the eagle to take the feathers off. He wouldn't believe in killing the eagle, would he? Uh, not in killing. You might say capture and hold for a while before you release it again and take some of the feathers as it sheds. Mm-hmm. But def- definitely not uh, harm the bird. Yeah. 
he said his great his great grandmother also gathered uh, medicinal plants used in the hailing ceremonies. Together, they prayed and sought solitude in the sacred landscape. Um, a lot like uh, Beer's ears, the Badger Two Medicine, which is a hundred thirty thousand acre area within the Lewis and Clark National Forest, became embroiled in a controversy over potential natural resource development between nineteen eighty two and two thousand seventeen. The Blackfeet tribe argued that these lands were sacred and that tribal members such as great-grandparents had used these lands for years for spiritual purposes. The Blackfeet tribe ultimately succeeded in stopping development, which was nice, but only after 35-year-long fight. Yikes. You know, you really got to go the distance with them if you want to win anything like that. Uh, they had to battle off with the Department of Interior, uh, which initially approved almost 50 oil and gas leases in 2017, Interior Secretary Jewel canceled the last of these leases. This means these public lands will not be used for natural resource development in the future. Now, the family and the other Blackfeet who have used uh, the badge to, Badger Tube Medicine for millennia can use these public lands for their religious practice in solitude. So, you know, the good, uh, a win for the good guy, you know what I mean? They were able to get it, but 35 years they had to fight to get that. That's horrendous. Do you think it, they were shut out of it for those 35 years, or do you think they were allowed to kind of come and go and it just wasn't, they couldn't build on it for the 35? I'd say probably mostly shut out. Yikes. That's, that's, that's the way they work, because if you can, let's say 35 years, if you can remove a generation from it and mm. break traditions, then they will give up fighting for it. That's true. You know, if you break a break a man or a woman, you know, you break you can break the person and make them give up, which is uh, sad. When you really when you really want to talk about some of the saddest things in the world, we're talking about breaking people. Uh, unfortunately, it happens every second, but it's one of those things. Forty years later, the reality is, however, that not every dispute between tribes and the U.S. government ends up in the favor of the tribes. Yeah, I'd say probably more likely than not, they don't. Historically, Native American tribes have struggled to explain why certain landscapes are sacred for them. In 1988, just 10 years after the passage of the American Indian Religious Freedom Act, the Supreme Court considered a case of involving the construction of a U.S. Forest Service road through undeveloped federal lands sacred of Northern California tribes in the Six Rivers National Forest. The lower court had ruled in favor of the Yurok, Karak, and the Talawa tribe stating the road would impact their religious practice. However, the Supreme Court reversed the decision, ruling that the building of a road through a sacred landscape would not prohibit the tribe's free exercise of religion. What's your take on that? Um, I think that's because, again, they're not recognizing um, they're not recognizing the beliefs of the people, the religion at all. It would, it would be like if someone went into, uh, attempted to, let's say they went into Israel and mm -hmm. said, okay, we're, we're going to build a super highway right through downtown Jerusalem. Yeah. And uh, you don't have any say in it. Right. Yeah, I mean, you uh, can... People, people wouldn't tolerate that now. Right. But these were natives. Who cares? So it was, even in the 80s, they were saying, no, nah, you're not legitimate. What you believe or what you do is not legitimate. Yeah. Even then, the Supreme Court was saying it. 
Yeah, you know what I mean? And people might be thinking to themselves, we're talking about a desert with a highway going through it, which doesn't sound like a big deal, but now you're talking about tribes that are going there to meditate. Um, that's a lot. That's going to get loud for them. You know, maybe spills is going to mess up the land. Um, also, you know, to, to go a little pet cemetery on people, you know, to, you know, you got you got truck trucks dry, cruising, you got eighteen wheelers hightailing it, screaming through those deserts, and you got people trying to cross that road. You know, you're going to get some people clipped every now and then. You know, it's going to turn into a way far more dangerous environment. Um, and uh, yeah, there's it's almost it's like it's just opening the door. It's like when we talk about portals, you know what I mean? Them putting in a highway is just opening up a door for something negative to happen. You know, maybe not spiritually, but Murphy's law, you know what I mean? When there can, when something can happen, it can happen, whether it's a tanker oil trucker spilling and a bunch, you know, hundred gallons of oils all over, you know, the, the spot where, you know, you're killing off all these animals and a lot can happen. You know what I mean? I think also it, I agree with all of that. Yeah. I, but I think it also goes back to the idea of sacred. Yeah. They're not recognizing the land as sacred because it's a different belief. Right. I mean, to me, I've been in, um, I went in a, in a, as a tourist one time and I went and I visited the uh, National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. I say, okay, fine. Let's put a walking path through it so anybody can walk any time of day right through the middle of it. Mm. People say, oh, no, no, well, wait a minute. It takes the people off the road. It's safer for them to walk. If it's raining, they got some place they can go. <clears throat> oh, but it's a sacred place. No, it's not. These people have to walk. How, how, yeah. Same thing. Same it thing. It's the same thing. How do you feel about the unspoken rule of American culture where you can't cut off a, a, a funeral line, even though they're already dead and they don't care, but they, they, don't, they don't mind doing this through their spiritual you know what I mean? Their thing. Yeah, that's the uh, double standard there. Yeah, it's the double standard. It's, it's we, we get we get ours. You don't get yours because you're different. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It's so crazy because yeah, people get wild about that line. That's that that line. Don't pass it. The, the only time you're allowed to run red lights when you're dead. You know what I mean? That's no problem. Well, what, what what can they do to you? You're dead. You might as well run it. And they just write down the family's license plate numbers to come back and get them in a couple of weeks. When they're done grieving, they give them something new to grieve about, like a five hundred dollar ticket. Um, the tribes lost that that free that free exercise that we were talking about. Uh, they revised the the Supreme Court revised the old decision on them, saying that it wouldn't be an issue. The tribes lost, unfortunately, uh, because the, the Supreme Court viewed the American Indian Religious Freedom Act as a policy and not a law with legal uh, protections. So it's more of like a, a favor. It's more of a good, good deed, a goodwill type thing than actual um, importance. It's like, well, it's just kind of a, it don't mean anything. It's just like, uh, it's like when you work at like, let's say like a stop and shop, let's say you work at a stop and shop deli department or something like that. And they come and they give you a, a they give you a nice printout, freshly printed out of the certificate, saying that you're the you're the number one employee that week. That don't mean nothing, unfortunately. You know what I mean? It's like okay. And then after they give you that, they they take a big diarrhea shit on your head and go back upstairs. Um, but unfortunately, the tribe lost, like much like Stop and Shop Deli Associates, and uh, because of this. You know, ultimately, the road was not built because the Congress stepped up, stepped in 
and they added this sacred area to the existing Siziku Wilderness, which is a protected area by federal law. So they, it's nice. At least something, you know, something good came of that, and they didn't get screwed out of it. Um, somebody was on their side. Maybe it was. Uh, maybe they were doing the right thing. Maybe they had some little extra help from some spirituality. You know what I mean? Hooked them up. Worked in their favor. Doesn't how help doesn't always work. You know what I mean? But it does work on occasion. You know what I mean? Well, maybe they didn't want another custom situation with the uh, workers out there in the angry tribes. That's true. Ooh. <laughs> it's yeah, very trouble, very troublesome stuff there. Well, uh, the uh, to put it blunt, the natives have been shit on so much. I I went to uh, up to uh, up. They call them a preserve up there. They don't call them a reservation of Naki preserve up in Canada. And the interesting thing is not that far away from it, there was a Mohawk. Mm. But when you went to the edges of it, there was a gate and they had their own police. And you had to tell why you wanted access. Yeah. Because they'd been crapped on so much that they just cut it off to the outside world and said, no, mm. no, no, no. Sorry. You white dudes, you've screwed, screwed us over so many times, it's not going to happen again. And I know on the Mohawk Reservation, they were people who insisted on getting on. They've actually taken shots at. Because mm. I went up to uh, some Mohawk land in the... Uh, they didn't do it here. I know they did it in Canada, but I went to some land up there in uh, New York, up in Fonda. And I used to visit regular up there. And yeah, the idea is that yeah, we're all brothers, but you one misstep. Because <laughs> you you have taught us that you know we're all brothers if it suits you. So yeah, they, I don't blame them one single bit. That uh, nope, don't trust you. Nope. They're they're like the Native American version of Waco a little bit. You know what I mean? There's some of that Dave Koresh going down. Uh, he, they just want to be left alone, right? And that how goes? They had a Canadian uh, situation, uh, oh, I forgot exactly how many years ago, but basically where the government wanted to move in and take land, and you had the women and children up there standing off against tanks. Mm. Oh. Kind of, no, you ain't taking it. That's it. And the government backed down because it didn't look too good in the press if they started to, to blow up and shoot down kids and, and mothers and stuff. That's the thing. I mean, if, if, if there was no cameras or pictures of that going down, they probably just would have said, full steam ahead, Johnny. Roll them over. You know? Well, I'm, I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty pretty confident I know who called the press in. Yeah, uh, there you go. <laughs> well, you know, it's one of those things. Um, now, you know, What's noteworthy is that the, uh, the Scottus, a.k.a. the Supreme Court of the United States, uh, the de- deliberations, though, was the descending opinion of Justice William Brennan, who defended land-based religions. He said, Native American faith is inextricably bound to the use of the land. The site-specific nature of Indian religious practices derives from the Native American perception that land is itself a sacred living being. Truth, it is. 
Um, indeed, religious uh, religion scholars such as Yale professor Tisa Wenger point out that the most important religious freedom issues for Native Americans center around protecting their sacred places. At a time when, uh, you know, administrations and the government, uh, they create new task force to address, address discrimination against certain religious groups, uh, the exclusion of beers, ears, and other places of religious significance from these discussions raises important questions about religious freedom in the United States. So I think he's going to say that, you know, there was a lot of things being passed about discrimination on different walks of life, but they kind of left the natives out of it in that situation, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, it definitely did. The idea that they're just a bunch of half-naked savages running around in the woods, so their religion can't be, or their beliefs can't be valid, um, to a degree that holds today. Now, I have some ancestors um, through the Henry line that go up to uh, the Micmac, yeah, and up in uh, you're talking about northern Maine and into into parts of Canada, and he was actually a chief that united the Abnaki and the Micmac. And locally, I was adopted, so to speak, by the Chibanagungamog uh, Nipmucks, and named there. So I spent some time on their on their drum, and uh, actually, the reason we went to Canada was the drum at some ceremonies up there, and we did some traveling and used to drum at the reservations. But um, even, and you're talking about, oh, about 15, 20 years ago, which is not that long if you're going around the year 2000. Yeah. But I can remember I, I had a day job, and someone asked me like one time, oh, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, we're going to be up at the Topic Powwow up in, uh, up in Massachusetts. And someone said, oh, you're Native. I said, yeah, I'm part Native and stuff. They asked me a question. They said, oh, you people eat normal food? And I looked at them, and being who I was at that time, I said, yeah, yeah, but we prefer newborns. They're tender. <laughs> that shut them right up. That shut them up. And then I remember another time. But you got talking to you around, two, the, around the year 2000. Yeah. Someone one time came up to me and said that, Oh, you drum. What does it what does it mean when it goes bum 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 which you hear in a lot of movies and stuff? And I said, Oh, that's easy. Kill the white man, kill the white man. So when people ask stupid questions, I used to give them trouble back. Right now I right now I just keep my mouth shut. But uh being a little bit younger and uh figuring, oh, come on here, we're we're going into the next century here and you're talking about Ask, and asking those questions? Really? Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's ignorance. It's ignorance. You know, they got that old way of thinking. You know what I mean? It's like the media. Like we talked about the teams and stuff. It's almost like, you know, the media with, with the Cowboys and Indians and all that. You know, the media kind of made, uh, they created them as they wanted what they had. And the, the best way to get what you want is to get everybody else to think that that person that has what you want is bad people. And so then when you go take it from them, you're not, you're not the bad guy. You know what I mean? At least in, in, in the society's eyes, if you will. Um, it's horrendous. No, unfortunately, it happens to a lot of people. Like um, I've known for probably the, probably around 20 years, I've known a lady who was Wiccan. Yeah. 
and she's a wonderful lady, and we've done some ceremonies together. It is an earth-based religion, and it's not, oh, witchcraft, devil, that no, not at all, right. but that's, you take a look at what the media does, oh, Wiccan, oh, witches, oh, curses, oh, this, oh, it's like, just stop, you know, just, just, just stop. You right. want to put them down so that way they, you can kick them through, kick them to the curb. That's what you want to do. Yeah. That's, yeah, you know, it's craziness. Uh, we got, I got a list of 10 public lands that have very powerful Native American connections to them. Um, we talked a little bit about them. You want to roll through some of them? Throw these? Uh, okay. I'm pretty sure there's one on there you don't know about. Oh, really? Well, if, well, it, if, it, if, if it's not there, we'll finish it up with that. Possibly two of them. Do you have one in there in Massachusetts? Um, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to tease anybody. I don't want to. Okay. Again, but it's possible. Okay, go for it. All right, cool beans. So, uh, first one up, we have Devil's Tower National Monument in Wyoming. Um, I remember you said that this was the actual tower from uh, um, uh, Third Kind there. Close Encounters of the Third Kind, the Spielberg movie about the alien yep. life. This has a great look to it. I mean, anybody out there, go gra- grab some pictures on your own out there for the po- folks listening. Because uh, you look at these places and you just go, oh, yeah, there's got to be something going on, on with this place. You know what I mean? But uh, Devil's Tower is a striking geological formation. Um a mighty volcanic throne rising above the Wyoming prairie cut deep vertical cracks. Visitors often say it resembles a, gig- a gigantic tree stump. Tribes in the area developed their own origin stories of the monolith. The myth, legends, and oral histories for Devil's Tower are how the Northern Plains tribes define this natural wonder and pass down their traditions through oral tradition and storytelling. Native Americans have kept their history alive, taught culture uh, and the heritage to new generations and underscored religious and moral beliefs. Um, The Arapaho, Cheyenne, Kiowa, and Lakota nations all have many creation stories for this iconic monument. The crow story is one of the most often shared at the park. It tells of a group of crows camped at uh, Beer's Beer's House, a place where many beers and one giant beer lived. Two girls were playing on nearby rocks when the large beer started methodically creeping towards the girls, thinking he found a tasty afternoon snack. But by the time the girls looked up and saw the enormous beer, the only way to escape was climbing up the rocks they were playing on. So up they went as fast as they could, uh, but they couldn't outpace the beer. The great spirit, seeing that the beer was about to catch the little girls, caused the rock to grow. The rock grew so high, it dwarfed the trees and skyline and put the girls out of reach of the fearsome beer. As the giant beer tried to jump up to the top of the tower, it missed and scratched at the rock on his way down, resulting in the long, deep grooves. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, visitors today can imagine that a beer raging at the towering monolith, uh, as told in the creation story, they can also learn how the monuments continue to be important to the area's tribes. Modern tribal connections are maintained at this site through personal and group ceremonies throughout the year. Sweat lodges, sun dances, and other traditions are still practiced at the monument today. Prayers, offerings, color clothes bundles that hold medicinal herbs are placed near the tower and can be seen along the park's trails. 
as of, uh, with many religious ceremonies, there are private uh, to individuals or a group. Uh, please do not touch, disturb, or remove prayer cloths at the park. Now, it's a prayer cloth, almost like like a blanket that you would lay down, kneel down on or something, like a blanket. What was that? You know what I mean? Um, it's similar to um, the Buddhists have it also. Okay. Um, but they have prayer flags. Hmm. But you might you would write your prayers on, uh, uh, or you could say them. You don't have to write them, and on a little piece of cloth, and you hang it on a tree. Okay. And what you're doing is you're putting your prayer up there, and you're putting it out there so that uh, the winds can basically carry those prayers to the Creator. Mm. I support that. Next up, we have Effigy Mounds National Monument in Ohio, Iowa, uh, home of Slipknot. At Effigy, Effigy Mounds National Monument in Iowa, indigenous history is written about the land itself. Effigy means that these mounds are meant to look like something. In the Midwest, they are often in the shape of beers and birds, but there are also panthers, snakes, and water spirits. The mounds were built by the Effigy Mound culture from 650 to 1200 CE. Um, what is CE? The Common Era. Okay. Uh, we, we, used to, we used to call it AD, Honest okay. Domine, which was after, they, they would say after Christ. They don't do that anymore. Yeah. Now they call it CE. Yeah, I know the before Christ and after death deal. Well, now, now they call we're, the time we're living in CE, the common era, and BCE is before the common era. Interesting. Hmm. Why the name change? I don't know. Someone got something uh, here across a body part and felt they had to change it. <laughs> I believe it. Um, and just within the monument, there are over 200 mounds, 39 of which are beers. While the exact ceremonial purposes of the mounds are unknown, about a quarter of them contain evidence of burials. From the ground, one sees rhythmic curving of the earth, large man-made hills, a mesmerizing blend of nature, art, and architecture. From the sky, one can truly appreciate uh, the shape of the effigy mountains. Like the marching beer group that shows the group of ten, uh, ten beer-shaped mounds adjacent to one another, with a bird soaring below, some of the effigy mound culture's earth, earthen works are immense. A great bear mound is 137 feet long and 70 feet wide. This place has been used and shaped by people since time immemorial uh, and was known by many tribes as a neutral place to meet and pray. Today, there are 20 present-day tribes that currently access this land. They view Effigy Mounds National Monument as a sacred place. Um, next up, Everglades National Park in Florida. Looks like there's alligators up in this place. Um, one of the several tribes connected with the Everglades National Park region of Florida is the Seminole Tribe of Florida. Seminole is derived from Yat Seminole, which means free people. Um, in the Seminole language, their namesake pays homage to their history of resistance against both Spanish and American forces. The late 1700s and 1800s were marked by many conflicts and unofficial wars. Eventually, more than 3,000 Sinopoles were forcibly removed uh, from their land on their own prolonged trail of tears. However, 
a few hundred Seminoles hid in the Everglades and never signed a peace treaty. Today, their descendants remain in the region, part of the Seminole tribe of Florida, the Mikasuki tribe of Florida, and some unofficial Seminole tribes. Their existence in Florida was fought for, and the Seminole people survived. Today, there is a Mikosiki Indian village adjacent to the Everglades National Park in two close-by uh, close reservations. Um, we also have Billy Frank Jr. Nisqually National Wildlife Refuge in Washington. Uh, Bill Frank Jr. was a member of the Nisqually Indian tribe and an environmental justice leader and treaty rights activist. He was awarded a posthumous Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2015 for his commitment to protecting the Nisqually people's traditional way of life. Frank was arrested more than 50 times in the 1960s and 70s during Fish War, the Fish War. Asserting not only uh, the the treaties rights, but all local tribes, Frank led Native American led Native American groups near Puget Sound in Fishins, called Fishins, uh, modeled after the peaceful protest of the civil rights movement. Frank's activism led to the 1974 Bolt decision, a Supreme Court case that reaffirmed tribal co-management and conservation of salmon resources in Washington State. This sparked the creation of the Northwest Indian Fisheries Commission, of which Frank was chairman for 30 years. Frank used his platform to advocate for uh, conservation and environmental preservation for half a century. In 2015, um, the NN Wildlife Refuge in Washington was renamed in his honor. Uh, You know, a blend of saltwater and freshwater Marshland, uh, critical for the preservation of species diversity and bird migration. With over four miles of boardwalks, visitors can uh, walk through the wildlife refuge, crossing tidal flats that dot the landscape with swatches of green, blue, and brown. You know what I mean? A lot of fun over there. So that's cool. You know, he fought for his right to party, and they named it after him. So that's good. Big respect to him, and rest in peace. That's uh, He did some honorable work. Um, Fort Union Trading Post National Historic Site in Montana and North Dakota. Between 1828 and 1867, Fort Union was the most important fur trading post on the Upper Missouri River. You know what I mean? It's one of those things. Um, Yeah. You know what I mean? We don't got to go too crazy into all this, but on the border of what today, North Dakota and Montana, Fort Union was a mainstay for peaceful coexistence. Although called a fort, the community was neither a government nor military installation, but privately owned commercial establishment founded to support business and foster cultural exchange. Several Native American languages were spoken here, as was English, French, German, Italian, Dutch, and Portuguese, uh, Spanish, and even Russian. Yet, somehow, all of the people were able to communicate. We also have Bryce Canyon National Park in Utah. And that looks beautiful. Looks very nice. You know what I mean? Um, You know, this place in Utah, a surreal landscape of sandy rock spires called hoodoos, defying gravity. These eroded layers of rock created mesmerizing indolating lines, making onlookers for hundreds of years wonder about their creation. 
Bryce Canyon has long been an important place for many Native American tribes, like the Hopi and the Southern Peyotees. Uh, creation stories for these striking geological features are still passed on. In 1936, Indian Dick, a Peyote elder who lived on the Kayabab Reservation, explained the legend of Bryce Canyon to a park naturalist. And that goes a little something like this. Before there were humans, the legend people, to, who, to when an Ungwa lived in that place, there were many of them. They were of many kinds, birds, animals, lizards, and such things, but they looked like people. They were not people. They had the power to make themselves look that way. Sounds like skinwalkers. For some reason, the legend people, they did something that was not good, maybe not respecting the land. The tale is not clear at this point because they were bad. Coyote turned them all into rocks. You can see them in that place now, all turned into rocks. Some standing in rows, some sitting down, some holding on to others. You can see their faces with paint on them, just as they were before they became rocks. The name of the place is Angakuwas Awits, meaning red-painted faces. This is the story the people tell. Um, look again at Bryce Canyon and you'll see a red-painted face. Uh, faces, people frozen in time. Some seem to be talking to each other or alone or standing apart, all part of the dramatic scene that until now you never knew was taking place. So, I mean, it does, it does have kind of a weird vibe. The way that it's formed, it does kind of look like people. So everybody out there, get a, um, go take, go look at a picture of Bryce Canyon, Bryce with a Y C E, not I. Uh, Kabuk Valley National Park in Alaska. This looks beautiful. Um, you know, it's not just beautiful. Like I said, it's giving. It's also life-giving. Uh, Kabuk Valley is 9 million acres of sprawling valleys full of caribou, salmon, and sand dunes. Yet it is one of the least visited national parks in Kabuk. Uh, is only accessible by plane or boat in the summer and snowmobile in the winter. It is easy to imagine this place is empty, but for hundreds of the land, uh, it is the grocery store, their playground, and a tie to their lineage. There's evidence of a 12,500 years of human occupation in the park. Alaska contains 20 distinct nation nations of Alaskan natives within its borders. About 20% of the Alaskan population identify as Alaska natives as of 2010. Many federal parks in Alaska have substance programs where Alaska native groups continue non-commercial, customary, and tradition use of land, including hunting, fishing, and gathering. They should get some the natives in on some like medical stuff, don't you think? Like prescription medicine and stuff like that, so it's not worse than the sickness people are dying from the medicine they're taking. Well, maybe maybe the medicine they're taking comes from Mother Earth, and they don't need a uh, big pharmacy. There you go. That's what I'm, uh, uh, let's start. We're going to start a movement, Ray. This is especially important not only for the continuation of cultural practices, but also for parts of rural Alaska where there is a food scarcity. Substance program programs are a way to keep people in history alive. And in Kabuk Valley, Inipurtent blend new traditional knowledge every day. During salmon and caribou season, many Inipuit families leave their homes and live in subsistence camps in the park in order to gather fish, hunt, and store food for the winter months when total daylight can be just 
just a few hours. We talked about that with Alaska before, how their 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 light system can get a little weird. You know what I mean? They have night for a long time. Yep. There's a great tale from the Crypt episode that focuses on that. Next up, Crow Canyon uh, petroglyphs in New Mexico. Um, you know what I mean? Um, am I, is it me reading this? Is it even interesting, Ray, or should we just not, should I, should I continue to go reading or? I think, well, it might be interesting in people to find out what is behind some of these places. Yeah. Uh, some, some of the stories, um, but they have to realize is that, um, the culture, everything was passed down in stories. Mm-hmm. The Native Americans did not uh, write things down. So the storytelling was very important, and stories had a lesson in them. Yeah. Um, okay, kind of like uh, briefly. Um, do you know how humans got fire? No. Well, back in the time when there were humans around and our relations in nature the different animals, saw that the humans were freezing. And they said that uh, we should get, you know, we should help them uh, to keep warm. Uh, there's fire on that mountain. So different animals, the bear, uh, fox, even the eagle, started to climb the mountain. But protecting the fire was this big monster-like thing. Uh, it's descri- the description of it is very similar to what we would call a dragon now. It was protecting the fire. It thought that humans should not have it. It was not going to share. Hmm. So the eagle tried flying around it but couldn't. The bear wasn't strong enough to defeat it. The fox was afraid. But the deer said, I'll go. And uh, the other animals said, no, you can't. What, what can you do? And the deer said, I'll go. And the deer went up there, and this big monstrous dragon-like thing looked at the deer, and the deer looked straight at it. And this monster saw in the deer's eyes love and, and peace. And a monster started to shrink and shrink and shrink until it became very small and flew away. Now, it is still around today. But we call it a dragonfly. Ah. Now, with the fire there, Fox decided to run up and grab a burning stick, and it was running away. And some some uh, embers, while it was running, came off of the stick and burnt the end of its tail. Hmm. Now, if you look at a fox now, you notice the end of the tail is dark. Yeah. Darker than the rest of the fur. And in Native American culture, the deer is a symbol and a giver of love. The monster was the ego. So love overcame the ego. And the people survived because our relations in nature, those animals and birds, decided that we, like them, were all one and should survive. All of the stories have lessons, and that's how they would teach. I like that. And that's that's the same when they have the creation stories and they have a lot of this, the, the stories about these different places. It's how they pass their history and it's also how they teach lessons. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, I'm with it. I'm always supportive of that. We got another one coming up. This sounds very sad, Ray. The Trail of Tears, National Historic Trail. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Trail of Tears Historical National Historic Trail travels through Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, Illinois, Kentucky, Missouri, North Carolina, Oklahoma, and Tennessee. and marks the path of the forced removal of all five southern tribes, the Cherokees, the Choctawas, the Creeks, the Chickasaws, and the Seminoles were forced uh, to territories west of the Mississippi following the Indian Removal Act of 1830. Although the Indian Removal Act of 1830 passed only five, by only five votes, approximately 100,000 Native Americans were forcibly removed from their homelands over the span of 20 years. Fighting back nations like the Cherokee or the Anigun Weyant won a case in the Supreme Court that ruled in favor of the tribe's previous treaty. The Cherokee had also shown the federal government that the vast majority of their people did not agree to leave, but it was not enough. In response to the case, President Jackson reportedly said to the Chief of Justice, John Marshall, has made his decision uh, and let him enforce it now if he can. In 1838, 16,000 state and federal militia troops forcibly removed 16,000 Cherokees first into large prison camps, then 1,000 marched over 800 miles to Oklahoma. It is uh, conservatively estimated that over 4,000 Cherokee people died. 20% of the Cherokee population, one survivor recalled how his father got sick and died, then his mother, then one by one his five brothers and sisters, one each day. Then all are gone. The Trail of Tears was made into a National Historic Trail in 1987, the testament of the, to devastating oppression, injustice, and cruelty endured by the Native American people. Yeah, like this is one of those, this is the, this was that, the trail where like they, they, they would, they, you know, if you fell behind, if you got too tired and fell behind, they'd just kill you, you know what I mean? Um, I think that when we were talking about one of like one of our haunted Massachusetts, I think there was a there was a story of this this trail where the mother oh the ba- like the mother had the baby died and like remember that story what that was when she was pregnant there was a mother carrying a baby and she she couldn't go on so like they 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 I don't know, they like killed her kid like they yeah, it was something like horrendous they killed her and then she she would be seen later. That was one of the ghost stories, but this is a horrific, like, think about the horrible, this, this poor kid is, you know, you're watching your family die and you're not, not, not only are we talking about the physical torture and labor of this hike, this, of this, but the mental, the mental anguish going on where you, you get family members dying all around you like that. You know, if they're treating you like this, who's to say when you get to wherever the destination is, it's going to be any better. It ain't. You know what I mean? They could have all been getting marched off to a big, big hole that they were getting dropped in. You know what I mean? Um, horrific, like really terrible. And, and and when you have stuff like that, there would definitely be a big energy around this place. You know what I mean? Uh, de- definitely. All, all of that suffering and all of that uh, death would leave an energy imprint on that trail. I feel like, uh, it's, yeah. It's it, and the thing is, people don't realize, um, and it's happened in other countries or other small groups. 
but what they don't realize is certain anthropologists now estimate between in all of North America, Canada, and the U.S., well, we have the image that there were, uh, you know, a bunch of random savages running around in these small groups. They estimate the population pre-Columbus was about 20 million. Yeah. They have found uh, evidence in different settlements on the East Coast going back 3,000 years of trade with the West Coast. Now, you take that uh, in the over those hundreds of years, and you take 1900, the, the census, which at that time they counted the Native Americans, was 1.2 million. Mm. That's a genocide of nearly 19 million. Mm. And you also have to take a look at things, not only things like the Trail of Tears, the reservations, the taking away of uh, the d- denial of religious practices, and a long list of things, is you had the boarding schools that most people don't realize would happen. If you were native and you were living somewhere, the uh, white man or your neighbor could say, oh, they're bad parents. With no questions, they would take your kids, put them in a boarding school, cut the hair, forced, forced Christianity on them, and deny them all of their culture and all of their beliefs to try and remold that child into something better than it was. Yeah. So they were basic, basically kidnapping kids. With reprogramming, you know, so it's a government, you know, MK Ultra thing. It's a tactic, you know, something that, you know, it's, been, it's a tool, unfortunate tool that's used uh, throughout time and isn't slowing down anytime soon. In this country, it's been going on for over 500 years, mm. as far as Native Americans go. Yeah, it's a tough hand. It's a tough one. It's, it's definitely no good. It's definitely, it's a terrible thing. Um, we got one more, and they did not get into uh, two more, I believe, and they did not get into Massachusetts at all, which is very upsetting. Um, Knife River, they got no love for the for the, the bloody bean over here. Um, Knife River, India villages, uh, national historic site in North Dakota, um, along the winding Upper Missouri River Valley, home homes dotted the landscape with like man-made hills and villages. Uh, grew to the cities that still dimple the landscapes today with circular remnants of earth lodges. When the Lewis and Clark expedition entered the Knife River region in 1804, the Mandan Hidatsa and the Arikara people have already been there for over 500 years. There were two Mandan villages and three Hidatsa villages known together as the Five Villages. Hadassas lived on earth lodges on the banks of the Knife River, each housing a clan of 20 to 40 individuals. Uh, the three affiliate tribes were uh, matronial and the agrarian people. Uh, and women would sing to the plants to help them grow and flourish. Now, we've heard, we've heard that in even American culture where they'll say, if, you, if you, you, know, you sing to your plant and talk to your plant, it'll help it grow better because it's got a personality. It's a living thing. The, um, the Mandan, Hadatsa, and the uh, Arakara people let the Lewis and Clark expedition spend the, eight, the 1805 winter in a fort of expedition named Mandarin Fort in honor of our neighbors. That's what it means. Uh, it was during their time at the fort that Lewis and Clark met and employed Sakawawi as a translator for the rest of the trip and where, where she gave birth to a first son. 
the peaceful interactions between the tribes of the five villages and the expedition gave Lewis and Clark hope for future contacts with the tribes as they continued their journey. The Native American experience, uh, experiences with Lewis and Clark expedition were as varied and diverse as the tribes themselves. Some fostered understanding, others were violent. Important stories can be discovered along Lewis and Clark National Historic Trail as it crossed 16 states. These places help us remember an impactful chapter of American history where uh, new relationships were forged. What a world. So, you know, with that being said, you had some Massachusetts ones, I remember you said that, that uh, you knew about. Well, I think it is in Gardner. I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, but there used to be the Cayuga, one of the uh, Iroquois nations, used to have a sacred site up there, mm. which uh, basically was trashed mm. and built on. And what happened after that was that more recently, some more liberal-minded people turned around and they built a monument there to the people, um, kind of recognizing what they had done to them in that site. Yeah. Uh, there's one place which is still fascinating, not that far from me, um, and I've been there. It's La Salette Shrine. And it's a sacred shrine. I can remember going there as a child. In the old chapel, they used to have an entire wall full of uh, crutches and wheelchairs and things left behind from people when they were miracles. Mm. The shrine was built on an old gathering place where they used to hold ceremonies. That was, that was uh, considered sacred. Now, the interesting thing is pre-COVID, for 41 years, every summer in June, they would have a powwow there. The drum I was on, we would go and we would drum. When a powwow was over at night, you had people on part of the grounds on campers. We would take the drum down a path out into the woods and drum late into the night under the moonlight. And we would do our ceremonies there. And what I think what happens on a lot of these sacred sites, particularly where you get um, they're building something like a church or a shrine. Once you get the church, you get the shrine in there, you have well-intentioned people, not necessarily the ones that built it, mm. but the people that attend it. They go there, pray, honestly believing in their prayers, and they're magnifying the energy of that old sacred site. They're doing the same thing in their prayer praying to their definition of God as the Native Americans did when they prayed to the creator. So there's one creator, two different paths to it, on one sacred site. And that really, to me, that really amps up the energy and the connection. And I'm not taking away from one or the other when I say miracles can happen. I think it is a combined energy of all the good-hearted people in that sacred place where the energy was good to begin with that all comes together in a way that produces those miracles. Yeah. And La Salette is uh, one place where that, where that would happen. Unfortunately, because of COVID, uh, they didn't have it last year. And they're not having the power this year. I know that when they do, I'll go visit. And the odds are most likely I'll see. We knew a lot of friendships with people I haven't seen for a while. Some of those that uh, travel the power circuit. 
And if I'm lucky, I'll be invited to sit at a drum and I'll be able to drum at a powwow again. You think time away would be would not would not let that, allow that to happen in certain situations, even though with the COVID or um, I, powwows are starting to open up, yeah, and different parts of the country. I know also that, and I've been there with people. They have a nature reserve in back that you can walk through, mm. and I've been been there with some people where uh, they've been walking and they look up and they turn their head, and I just look at them and I say, "Did you see that guy?" He but kind of dressed like a native. Do you see the one walking on the edge of the woods over there? And I was with another person where they were walking around going, do you hear drums? Yeah. And there was no powwow that day. Hmm. There was no one out there in the reserve. There were no drums. The spirit of the people is still there. Yeah. And it's uh, a beautiful place. And I love to visit there now, whether it's a walk in the nature reserve or to visit the shrine. I don't believe in the institutions that that yeah. did what they did, but I believe in the belief behind the faith that is still strong, and it has a, it is a strong presence there, combined with the native. Yeah, I'm with that. But yeah, those those are the, those are the two from around here. Yeah, we'll have to trek out that way. You think that every, you know, every state, every state got a got a got a, a powwow group and somewhere to go. Uh, most states do. I know. I know that Lasalet is the local one, the Wallamala Pog. Uh, they run the uh, they run the uh, powwow over there. Uh, Massachusetts has quite a few. I know Rhode Island has several of them. Uh, the Narragansett have theirs. Plus, there's another one, uh, two others that I know of. Um, Connecticut, ha- I mean, just it's very, very common. And I think that as things open up, they will come back. And I look forward to them coming back. It's been a while and I miss it. Yeah. Old friends and, and old feelings. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. If somebody was interested in something like that, is that something they could look into easily? Or is that more of a, you got to be accepted in? Uh, the powwows are public. There is a site. I think it's powwows.com yeah. that lists them by state. Um, but yeah, they're open to the public. Uh, basically, you just uh, follow the rules and just be respectful of everybody. And if someone is wearing their regalia, never touch anything without asking permission. And that's basically it. They'll tell you the rest. Okay. I'm with it. You know what I mean? I support it. I got a lot of, I got Native American in my blood, much like us all, much like us all, you know what I mean? Um, hell yeah. So we got, we got that rocking and rolling. We got an hour and a half of sacred land talk all up in there. That flew by. I wasn't, I wasn't expecting a full hour and a half or I was thinking maybe we've an hour and up, you know what I mean? Um, but we go deep, we go deep here at Mostly Ghostly, right into your spirit, right into your soul. That's where we like to go. So, yeah, I mean, if anybody else gets got, you know, uh, interested by this, which how could you not? I'd definitely go out there and let us just be the kickoff and go, you know, do this way, 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 way more stuff that you can do with your own research. And, you know, if it's interesting, you want to get more in, in tune with what's going on. I mean, these are the first. This culture is like when it comes to spirituality, I, I, there, there's very few cultures bigger than the Native American culture that really – 
get into it. So much so the government was going around trying to find out ways to use their abilities as weapons and tools. And whenever you see that, you know, there's some serious power being harnessed when you want the big boys, the G-men to come knocking on your door to see what's up. You know what I mean? I remember uh, the clan mother who is now in the spirit world Mm -hmm. uh, back when, when people were talking with her and people would say, what's your religion? She says, your religion is your life. Uh, it should be how you live and what you are, not what you do one day a week or not what you profess or believe. Because none of that matters unless it is your life and how you live. That's beautiful. And that's real. I can't. I don't even have a finish to that. That's how good that was. So with that being said, we'll catch all y'all on the next episode of Mostly Ghostly.